Let's stand up. Let's stretch your legs a little bit. <laughs> I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver and a little gold. But in that city where the ransom will shine, I want a gold one, that silver line. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop, where there's bright land, where we'll never grow old. And someday yonder, we'll never more wander, but walk the street that is pure as gold. Don't think me poor or deserted or lonely. I'm not discouraged. I'm heaven bound. I'm just a pilgrim in search of a city. I want a mansion, a robe and a crown. I've got a mansion just over the hilltops in that bright land where we'll never grow old. And someday yonder we'll never more wander. But walk the streets that are pure as gold. Here are my sermon notes from last week. They're still here if anyone wants to come up and read them later. That's kind of funny. Uh, we started last week talking about new beginnings. New beginnings. Um, there's many of us here, uh, and last week, as, as many of you were walking out, uh, you said, man, this, this is, I'm in a new beginning right now. I'm walking into the opening pages of a next chapter, and, and I needed to hear this. And, and we're going to keep talking about this for a few weeks, because God realizes that new beginnings always present us with an incredible opportunity for us to grow and to be transformed. New beginnings give us opportunities that, that other things don't. When you're living out your chapter you've been in for a while, uh, you can get into a place where you're comfortable with the status quo. You just keep following your feet forward to the next couple steps in the journey. But a new beginning gives you room and opportunity to do, to do new things in new ways. And so whether it's a, a new job, a new marriage, new babies... Uh, whether it's a life that's in, in a new chapter because maybe you've lost a loved one or you're uh, changing uh, to a new school or maybe just a new school year. And so for all of our kids and college students that are thinking about uh, this school year that starts for many of them this week, I hope you're thinking about the opportunities that that brings for you to do something new in your life this year to set goals and to think, man, I, I want to stop doing some of the stuff from my past and I want to start doing some new things that will guide me into to God's future that he has in store for me. And so we're talking right now about new beginnings. 
because they are an opportunity for transformation and growth. There's a, a speaker who does a lot of motivational speaking and devotionals and other things named John By the Way. And I thought, surely it's Bithway, but I, I found him, and, and it's John By the Way. It's his name. And he has this story he tells, this illustration that he uses, where he says, every single person has an invisible backpack that they're wearing. And everywhere they go, they're carrying this backpack, and there's stones that get placed in that invisible backpack. And depending on the weight of the stones, there's some people that you see that you are immediately aware that their backpack is weighing them down. These are people that are, are hunched over under the weight of what they're carrying. Their eyes are, are downcast. They have a difficult time even looking you in the face because of the weight of the baggage that they're carrying. And he says the way the invisible backpack works is, is this, is that we get stones that have things written on them. Things like, don't bother getting up, you aren't worth it. And every time you think that, or you say that to yourself, or someone says it to you and you accept it, that stone goes in your backpack. And the next stone might say, uh, you are an idiot. You are a failure. And it gets written on the stone and placed in your backpack. Look at other people's success compared to them. I'm the worst. I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. Goes on a stone and we drop it in our backpack. I'm just a sinner. I'm just an addict. I've got too many problems. People don't love me. I don't even love me. And over and over again, those things get written on the stones and placed in our backpack. And we beat ourselves up and we let the world beat us up. And, and there's so many anti-bullying campaigns in the world that we live in today, but the reality is that the big problem is when we become our biggest bully. By, by letting the words of the world that beat us up and that tell us that we're nothing and nobody, once that becomes our internal script and our internal dialogue, we become part of the problem of what's beating us up. And you can't live with the weight of that backpack that you're carrying with you everywhere you go. So the writer of Hebrews gives us this passage. It's in Hebrews chapter 12. It's in the part where he's, he's just finished talking about all of the incredible heroes of faith that have gone before us. And for us as Christians, we not only have the heroes of faith that have gone before us, but those who live with us and surround us and pray with us and worship with us every week. So when we look at Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Short passage. And, and in the text, it's really transitioning from one idea to the other, but there's so much that's in here that matters for us when we think about how can I live my best life in this new and next chapter? 
And the first thing we have to do is what we talked about last week. You have to throw off all that's holding you back and all that's hindering you. You've got to get rid of the baggage. You've got to take the backpack off of things that are holding you back. Because most often the things that hold us back are our fear of failure based on the things we're saying about the things in our past. What keeps us from living a new chapter is that we think we're not good enough, strong enough, worthy enough. I can't do it because I'm me and all the stuff that comes with me because we believe all the junk in the backpack. Hebrews says, listen, you've got to cast that off. You have to throw that off, not just uh, the sin that entangles you. And if you're stuck in a sin that's dragging you down and that you can't get rid of, you've got to get rid of that sin. But if it's your backpack that's weighing you down, this lack of belief in yourself, then you cast off everything that hinders and then run the race with perseverance that's marked out for you. Because when you get rid of, uh, of the sin that's holding you back and the backpack that's weighing you down, then you finally have the ability to run with perseverance the journey that's ahead, the journey that Jesus has marked out for you. It talks about how Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And, and that, that word pioneer, we often skip over that, but it's so important to know that the path that we're going over uh, is not... We're not the first ones to do it. We're not the first ones to make this journey. Um, my in-laws uh, do horse, horseback riding. They're, they do trail riding groups and other things, and, and I get to go with them every now and then. Uh, and they know my skill level. And so I get the easy horse, right? Uh, but the other thing that they do is they take me on the easy trails, but sometimes when they're together with their friends who do this more often and more regularly, they'll go out to the woods where there's not a trail and they'll cut a trail where there wasn't one, which is a, a thing that I wouldn't even think to do. I would not, with my horse, walk up to a line of trees and say, I'm going to make a trail here where there's not one right now. And I'm going to cut away the things that get in the way, and I'm going to move the thing, the underbrush on the bottom. And then after that, I'm going to invite others to come here. They mark it clearly so that others can, can go on that trail. So if enough other people go on that trail, eventually it'll be safe enough for me. Okay? That's how cutting a trail works. And when we start new chapters in life, and it, it is daunting and it is terrifying to think about uh, what is this new family going to be like with a new baby? I haven't done this before. What's this new job and career going to be like that I'm venturing out on? Uh, there's a lot of risk in this. There's a lot of discomfort in this. And, and we can get comfort from knowing that everywhere we go, that it is Jesus who is the pioneer who is, has gone that way before. And not only did he go that way in his own life, but, but as he left and the Spirit comes in, that the Spirit has been coming into God's people and guiding them on new trails and new chapters for 2,000 years. And so whatever it is that you're worried about doing, you know that you're not the first one to do it. God goes before you. Because of that, when you're in a new beginning, you've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. You fix your eyes on Jesus and you don't worry about all the things that are, are pulling you back and holding you down and dragging you down. And you consider Jesus who endured such opposition so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. 
And as, as I, as I, anytime I read Hebrews 12, this idea of casting off that which holds you back and fixing your eyes on Jesus, I immediately think about Peter. And I think about the story uh, where Peter sees Jesus walking on the water. And I want to look at that text this morning and look at this story. It's in Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. He's just fed 5,000 people. Uh, He's just recently, prior to this, learned that his cousin John the Baptist has been uh, beheaded. He's fed the crowds. And at this moment, he says Jesus makes the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And I want to stop here for a minute. And Jesus is the Messiah, Son of God, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he feeds the 5,000, and he sends the disciples off, and he does so for the purpose of being able to have some time with God in prayer. He needs that quiet time. He needs that connection time. He needs that time to go be with his father in prayer. And I think it's so important that that we often, when we think about doing what Jesus would do and walking in his footsteps, we think about uh, going out and doing ministry and being with people and saying things and being active and busy. But if we're going to be like Jesus, we also have to do this stuff. We have to withdraw into quiet mountainsides to pray. And at this moment, while Jesus is praying on the mountainside, he could have looked out on the sea and he probably couldn't have seen them because it's, it's dark out and there's not the lights of the city that we have today. And out in the sea, some distance out, the apostles are in a boat and this boat's getting tossed around because it says the wind was against it. It's being buffeted by the waves. This boat's getting tossed around and they're uncomfortable to say the least. Shortly before dawn, they've been out on this boat all night, being buffeted by the waves. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. As Christians, sometimes we think that the Bible is so real to us that it's easy to believe. And when we do that, we go to people and we say, listen, haven't you read this story? How could you not believe this? We skip over the fact that in reality, there are many things that are in Scripture that are actually hard to believe. That that because some of the things in here are so incredible and our faith is the way that it is, that the things that Jesus did start to become ordinary, this is not ordinary. Let me read this again. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. It's not ordinary to see someone walking on water. In fact, when the apostles see Jesus walking on the water, and this is a guy that just the day before they saw feed 5,000 people, and they've seen him heal people, and they've seen him do incredible things, and when they see a figure walking on the water, their reaction is normal. That must be a ghost. 
because people don't walk on water. And, and you can't help but wonder what this experience would be like when you see Jesus walking on the water, but they're terrified. And, and there's not much light. It's just before dawn. There's just enough light that they can see a man uh, in the distance walking on the water. And there's waves, and they're being tossed around, and they've been scared all night, and they're uncomfortable. And they're frightened, and here's this figure walking on the water. Jesus says to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. This is not normal, okay? If you're Peter and you're in this story, there's a list of things that you might say to Jesus to find out if it's really him. For me, in my mind, if I'm with Peter in this boat and I see Jesus and I'm afraid the waves have been bad, I would say something like, Lord, if it's you, tell these waves to stop. I might say, Lord, if that's you, get in this boat with us. Lord, if it's you, I mean, you maybe even be like, you're going pretty fast. We're going pretty fast. Let's race to the other side. That might be more normal than what Peter does. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Tell me to get out of this boat. Tell me to leave what little security I have in the middle of this sea and this lake as the waves are tossing me around and it's been a long night. Jesus, if it's you, tell me to get out of this boat and do what you're doing, which has never been done by any human before. I'd like to be the second. If it's you, tell me to walk on the water with you. And we see in Peter in, in this moment an incredible faith. An incredible faith. This is one of the stories that Peter gets ripped for on a regular basis. And, and there's some warrant to that because Jesus, in fact, criticizes him at the end of the story. But in this moment, Peter does something that is absolutely incredible. Peter says to Jesus, let me walk on water with you. And Jesus could have said, uh, Peter, Simon, listen, I can walk on water because I'm Jesus, but I'm not going to tell you to get out of the boat because you're not a water walker. Peter, don't be ridiculous. Stay in the boat. Stop saying crazy things all the time. But Jesus doesn't. When Peter says, tell me to come to you on the water, if it's you, Jesus says, come. And then Peter got down out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And, and this is where I start to get really annoyed with Matthew, because he's skipping details that I really want to know. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when he, they climbed into the boat and the wind died down, those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. And I want to go back and imagine what it's like for Peter in that moment. When Jesus says, come, do you, what are the other apostles doing? 
As Peter starts to put one leg over the boat and into the water, do you think that James and John were kind of holding on to him going, wait, 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 still might be a ghost. Ghost can say come too. This is not a good test that you've given the ghost. As Peter steps out on the water, do you think he dips a toe in or tries to, to see if it works? Or is Peter, who has such brash faith, when Jesus says come, does Peter just hop both feet out under the boat? I don't know. I want to know, but I don't. And Jesus is over here, and his feet are on solid water, which, by the way, doesn't make sense, but Jesus is standing on solid water. And now Peter is too, and he starts to walk toward Jesus. And I want to know, does the water feel wet under Peter's feet, or does it feel like glass? And as the waves are coming, because the waves don't stop until they get into the boat, as the waves are coming, is Peter kind of like surfing over them? Is he having to jump over them? Uh, do the waves kind of part and go around him, which is a different kind of thing all, all in and of itself? Now, Matthew was there, and he could have told us, and he didn't, and that makes me mad. Okay, these are the things I want to know about what's going on with Jesus and Peter walking on the water. I want to know how far Peter got, because Jesus is far enough away that they seem in the distance, they know it's a figure of a man, they're close enough that they can talk, but Jesus starts walking towards him, there's some distance here. And as Peter starts walking towards Jesus, Hebrews says, cast off all that hinders you, and fix your eyes on Jesus, so that you can have perseverance to, mark, to, to go on the path that's marked out for you. Those words haven't been written yet. Peter should know them, but he forgets. He forgets that just a few minutes earlier, he was in a boat which has relative security. He's been in lots of boats. He's a fisherman by trade. He's known waves his whole life. And here he is in the boat, and he decides that he's better in the wavy water with Jesus, his Messiah, than he is in the security of the boat. And so he decides that if Jesus is out there on the water and Jesus says, come, that he's going to do this. And, and, and whatever the water walking actually looks like that we don't know about because Matthew left it out, Peter starts doing that. And he's walking one step at a time. And he's got his eyes fixed on Jesus. And as long as that's true, he's walking on water with the first person who's ever done that before. He's the second, they're out there together, and all of a sudden, Peter's confidence in the security of being with Jesus on the water starts to be shaken. He starts running through the list of things that a few minutes ago were scary in the boat. The waves and the wind when he was in the boat made him frightened and uncomfortable to the point that he thought, I'm better with Jesus on this water than I am in the security and safety of this boat. And then he gets out there and starts walking into this new chapter of his life where he's water walking. This new beginning of his life that he says, Jesus, if it's you, call me and I'll go anywhere that you call me to go. And he gets out there on the water and suddenly he starts thinking about all the things that made him to want to get out of the boat. And now he starts thinking about how all of those are reasons he should get back in the boat. I wanted to get out of the boat because of the wind and the waves and I wanted to be with Jesus. Now I'm with Jesus and the wind and the waves. I think I need to be back in the boat. And this is natural for all of us. God says, come do this new thing with me. And we go, really? And he says, yeah, 
I'll go with you. Keep your eyes on me and you're not going to fail. And we get out of the boat. We start taking our first couple steps. Our steps forward into a new job, into a new family, into a new, uh, all kinds of things. A new chapter in life. And we're excited because we know why we had to get out of the last chapter. We know about the problems of yesterday. And we start walking with Jesus. And for a few minutes, it's always great. I'm going to do this new thing. And then suddenly that which pushed us out of the boat starts to be the thing that holds us back. And it bites us back. And it says, no, don't go out there with Jesus. Don't take risk. Don't have confidence in faith. Get back where you're safe on your own two feet, not where Jesus is calling you to go. And we want to go backwards. And God knows. God knows that new chapters give us this incredible opportunity for growth and transformation. And so the world wants to keep that from happening. And so the world is constantly calling us back into the security of the boat. And sometimes we mess up. Sometimes, like Peter, we start to sink, which is what the text says, right? Beginning to sink. It's interesting, sometimes if you want to search for pictures of Peter walking on water and Peter sinking in the water, one of my favorite things to do is look at how different artists imagine how far Peter was underwater when Jesus grabs him. We don't know. The idea for me is that he's beginning to sink. He hasn't done it all the way. So if you see an artist who has Peter underwater looking up at Jesus' hand coming down into the water to get him, that to me feels like Peter having already sunk. Peter, beginning to sink, cries out, Lord, save me. Did he get knee deep or waist deep up to his neck? I don't know. But he's, he's terrified now, and all he sees is the wind and the waves, and Jesus reaches out and grabs him. And then Matthew leaves out the other detail of how they got back to the boat or how far that was as well. But there's a couple choices here, right? Maybe Jesus picked him up and carried him, which is a weird image. It's possible that however deep Peter was when Jesus grabbed him, uh, this is my favorite father image because this is what I probably would have done with my kids. Um, you know, if Peter was waist deep and Jesus grabs his hand, don't you, just, you imagine Jesus just dragging him back to the boat? <laughs> get in it, get, crawl back in the boat, just get in there. I, I told you to get out, but if you're not going to get out and keep your eyes fixed on me and keep walking, just get back in the, get yourself back into the boat. And the other apostles have to kind of scoop him out and there's wet Peter. Um, my favorite option, and I, I'm guessing, my favorite option is that Peter starts to sink and Jesus grabs his hand and then he steps back up. I, I love the idea that Peter might have walked back to the boat with Jesus. And whichever one it is, Jesus saves him and Jesus restores him and Jesus brings him back to safety. But then he asks, why didn't you have enough faith? Why didn't you have enough faith in me to do this thing that no one else in humanity has ever done before? Is what Jesus is saying. When will you get enough faith to know that there is absolutely nothing in this world that is impossible for you as long as you do it with me? And so 
last week as we talk about these new beginnings and, and what you have to do if you're going to do them well and do the growth and transformation that God is calling you to do in these moments, the first thing you do is you cast off anything that hinders you. Your self-doubt, your shame, whatever it is you're writing on those stones, and you've got to get rid of the sin that's holding you back from the life that God's calling you to live. But the second thing is this, is you have to be completely confident and aware of the presence of God in this and every moment. Aware that God goes with you, that God is in the room, that if you fix your eyes on Jesus, the distractions won't pull you into the water. We often drown because we start to believe the stones in our backpack and we get caught up on the sin that entangles. And Jesus is saying, just remember that God is here and fix your eyes on me and there's nothing that'll hold you back. We've got to remember the presence of God in this and every new chapter in our lives. And this isn't new with Jesus. It's not new with Hebrews. One of my favorite texts for thinking about new beginnings in the Old Testament is from the beginning of the book of Joshua. The beginning of Joshua starts out with the end of the life and leadership of Moses. Moses is the central character in the Old Testament, the central historical figure in all of Israel's history of being the person who leads them out of slavery in Egypt. He takes them to Sinai. He leads them through the wilderness wanderings, and he takes them all the way to the Jordan River, and God says, this far and no further will you lead my people. But books were written by him. The law is, is written by him and given to Israel by him. The things that Moses did in Israel are unlike anything anyone else had ever done before him and would ever do after. In Joshua chapter 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Joshua's, I mean... The, the expression, you've got big shoes to fill, doesn't even begin to cover what Joshua's got ahead of him. Not only is he filling Moses' shoes, is he replacing the greatest leader in Israel's history, but he's about to form them from a wandering set of people to a nation in Israel. The promised land that they've been waiting for and dreaming about for centuries since God first promised Abram that his descendants would someday own the land where he was standing. They're coming home, and Joshua's about to lead them into that land. The problem is there's already people living there with walled cities and armies, and there's a river between him and them, and God's going to take care of all of that. But this has to be one of the biggest new beginnings in all of the Old Testament. And Joshua just has to be overwhelmed by the task ahead of him. So God continues... As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. 
Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. In verse 9, he says this, Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God tells Joshua, Joshua, this is a new beginning for Israel. There's two things you need, to, you need to know. I need you to be obedient, and I need you to know that you can be strong and courageous, not because of the power that's in you, not because of the wisdom that's in you, not because of the leadership that's in you. Here's why you can be strong and courageous in this and every new venture you go on is because I will go with you. Always. I will never forsake you. And so as Joshua begins the conquest and Israel crosses over the Jordan River and the walls of Jericho fall, what they're learning over and over again is their success comes from God's presence, not from their ability. And it's as true for us today as it was for them then. When you ask God, God, how can I know that I'm going to be successful in this and every future thing that's coming my way? The answer from God is this. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with you. And if we learn from Peter walking on the water, and we say, but, but, but God, what if I fail? He says, then you just cry out to me, and I'll pick you up, and I'll put you back on the boat. You of little faith. Because if you have enough faith, you should know that if you just remember that I'm with you and follow the path marked out for you and run the race with perseverance that's ahead of you, fixing your eyes on Jesus, you won't fail. You will come to complete uh, the challenges ahead of you. You won't grow weary or lose heart. And there's a psalm that captures all of this in a powerful way. It's one of the Psalms of Ascent, which means that it's a psalm that the people of Israel would have read together or, or sung together on their way up to Jerusalem when they were on pilgrimage together. And they would sing this song. And the road to Jerusalem was often difficult, and there were hazards, and there were tough times, and there were things that were, uh, were challenging all along the way. Uh, but as they were going up to Jerusalem on this journey, the, this is one of the songs they would sing. And as they thought about, how are we going to complete this journey, this is what they would sing. Psalm 121 says this, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. God won't leave you. God won't abandon you. God won't forsake you. He's there in the morning. He's there at night. God doesn't sleep, so even when you do, he doesn't. He still watches over you. 
God was with you in the last chapter. He's with you in this chapter. He's going to be with you in the next chapter. And as long as you cast off that which hinders you, leave behind the old and march courageously into the new, aware that God's presence is with you. And as long as you don't forget that, he won't abandon you. And you'll be ready for whatever lies ahead because you're not alone. If you can do that, there's no storm big enough. There's no army that's too big. There's no obstacle in your life that is big enough to get in your way to keep you from becoming the person that God's hoping and, and, and desiring that you're going to grow and transform into. Cast off that which hinders. Walk forward with the confidence that God is with you. You are not alone. God is with you. And that is enough. If you're here today and you've forgotten that, that God is with you, and you have a need to be reminded or to come back into the presence of God or into the community of this family, uh, if you need to respond to this message today, please come forward as we stand and sing. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are 